us pray. Father, thank you that we can sing that song. As we've thought about many times, even this month through this series, that you are not a God who is far off. You are a God who's near. You are not a God that is unknowable. You are a God that can be known. And you have made yourself known through Jesus. And so thank you that we can say you love us as a father loves his child. And thank you that we can love you back as a child loves his father. So Father, as we um, enter into this time of study, looking after um, and studying about the life of King David, I pray that you would help us to connect in our hearts with the type of love that you loved over David, you love over us. And so thank you for that. Lord, we ask that you would bless this hour together as we're together singing and looking into your scripture and learning many things about you. Thank you for this time. And uh, we pray a blessing over it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. You may be seated. My name is Jason, and I'm one of the pastors on staff at Encounter Church. And I'm excited to be with you. I hope that you're excited to be here. Um, Chris Causey, our lead pastor, um, is um, off this last couple of weeks, and he's been doing some, some traveling, and so he'll be back with us next week. But I'm preaching this entire month of August, and I'm excited to, to be back with you again today. Is everyone all right? Everyone doing good today? Make some noise if you're doing all right. I just like to give you permission to make noise in church, other than singing time, right? I mean, it's good that we get to sing, and we get to sing some songs, but it's just good to be able to make some noise and lighten up the atmosphere just a little bit. Um, good to be with you again today. We've been looking at the life of David, and um, there's this incredible verse that's not just mentioned once, but two times in the scripture that says King David, he was king over Israel, had a large, expansive kingdom, very wealthy, very well-known, right? God made a promise to him as a young boy, not just when he overtook Goliath, but through a prophet named Samuel, that God made a promise to him that he would be king. And this is a statement that was made about King David, this is important, before he was ever king. The statement that God made over David was that, that, that God noticed that David had a heart after him. He said, this King David has a heart after me. He's after God's heart. Wouldn't it be great for that to be said of you? So many of you will say, you know, I, I, I believe in God. I believe that I'm a Christian and I want to follow Jesus. I have that faith. But, but wouldn't it be incredible to, to, to be said about you that he has a heart after God or she has a heart after God? Week one, just two weeks ago, I asked this statement. I want to kind of recap the last couple of weeks before we jump into this new psalm today. I asked this question, what if someone came up to you and, and, and asked this and said, hey, do you consider yourself holy? That's kind of an intimidating question, isn't it? Do you consider yourself holy? Well, most people, most, I don't know about you, but I think most people would kind of back up on that and say, well, I don't consider myself holy because most sensible people would have this, this reality picture of themselves that says, no, 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 I'm far from perfect, right? David knew this about himself. David was not a perfect man. And when we look into not just pre-kingship, but after he was king, David made many, many mistakes. David made a lot of mistakes. Not only did he commit adultery on his wife, but he went so far as to cover it up by murdering and by being deceptive, right? And by taking a wife that was not his own, right? Another wife that was not his own, and his kingship after that was full of so many 
so many mistakes, so much turmoil. But yet, this is what's really crazy to me. Hundreds of years later in the book of Acts, the same words are recorded about this great king, David, a man after God's own heart. Now, if you read the stories that I read in the Bible, we could literally say about King David, how in the world could this be said about this man? Are we reading the same stories? This guy has a heart after God? How in the world could he have a heart after God if he was deceptive before some of the more powerful kings of the known world? How could he have a heart after God if he rejected his sons and did not lead them in the way that he ought to? David was not necessarily known as even being a good father. David at times was not known for being a faithful husband. And at times, David was known as pure and selfish. When we look into the Psalms, which is incredible, we don't just have to read the stories in Samuel's and in in First and Second Kings about King David. Much of the Psalms are written and penned by King David. And we get, in, we get to look into his life and see the turmoil. We get to look into his life and, and see the struggle. We get to look into his life and see all of the imperfections, right? As if you spent your entire life writing songs about your life. You, you spent your entire life writing songs about your journey, about, about the lows and about the highs. And years later, people get to look into your life through your writings. That's what we get to, we get to do that through King David. And we get to do that by looking at some of the songs that he wrote. And these psalms are songs, right, that, that, that he wrote about his journey with God. And in spite of the struggle, in spite of the sin, in spite of all the ridiculous things that David did, in spite of the ridiculous decisions he made as king over the most powerful body on, that, the, on the earth at that time, the nation of Israel, he still loved God. So many of you would say the same thing about your life. I got struggles I got issues, my family, we're messed up, not to point fingers, but they're messed up, and I'm messed up, but, but I do, there's something inside of me that, that I, I, I do love God, I see him, I, I recognize him, and so many people, when you ask the question, do you consider yourself holy, they would backpedal, and for good reason, because none of us are, none of us are. Not one person walking the face of the planet today can say that they are without fault. And if they do, that's their own fault, right? That's the fault in and of itself. And we get to look into the life of King David and see that he was a man that loved God, but he had great struggles. So how can you and how can I have a heart like his? And that's this serious David, a heart like his. How can we have a heart like David? Because we are like David. We have great struggle. We have so many imperfections. There's, there's things in our lives, our, our, our relationships, our family, our extended family, that are just so broken and that are so um, imperfect and so not the way that God intends for them to be. But in spite of all of this, you can still have a heart that longs after God. Many of you today may say, that's, I, I have a disconnect because I'm exploring this faith in God. So many people would say, I'm, I'm not really at a place in my life where I can say that I have faith in this God. I'm not really at a place in my life where I can honestly say that I'm a believer, I believe in Jesus, or, or I'm a follower of, of, of Christianity. So many of you today would just simply be exploring. And I want to tell you this. No matter who you are, where you are, what you believe, there's a God who loves you, 
And there's a God who wants you to know him. And there's a God who wants you to know this. There's a God who wants you to know no matter who you are, what you've done, what you've said, past, present, or future, you can be right with God. Turn your Bibles, if you have it, to Psalm 40. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look on your smartphone um, and follow along in the scripture there, but you can also look on the screen. Psalm 40, um, I want to read this in, and really it's in entirety. I've said this the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's just unfair for me just to read a few verses of the psalm, and so it's 17 verses. I want to read all 17, and you just follow along. It's like a fire hydrant. You'll, you'll get full, but you won't catch it all because the Bible's so full, right? And so when we read this entire psalm, just grab whatever you can, listen, absorb, whatever it is, and we're going to jump back through this psalm. But before I do, give you a little bit of the context of Psalm 40. As I've mentioned also during this series at times, David was often running for his life. Why? Because he was king. And when you're a powerful king and your nation is expanding, what often do you do to expand your nation? You conquer other nations David had a lot of bloodshed on his hands. David was responsible for a lot of death. And in fact, one of the reasons that the Bible says David could not build the house of God, his son would build it, God literally said through, through himself and through the prophets, David could not build because he had too much bloodshed. But God had reserved that for his son. David's kingship was not a kingship of peace. It was one of great strife and great turmoil. And David was, while conquering a lot of lands, while his, his, his kingdom is expanding, he was often running for his life. And David in this psalm describes what it's like to run for his life, right? He often would just cry out to God for help and cry out to God for deliverance. And so that's kind of the context of this psalm in the middle of his kingship, often wondering if God would help him once again. Psalm 40, starting in verse 1. I waited patiently. For the Lord, he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and they will put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. And then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation, and behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot even see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. 
Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Great psalm, a long psalm, 17 verses. David pouring out his heart to the Lord. And I don't know if each of us could connect with all the 17 verses, but I think we can all connect starting in verse 1. And David says this. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. Now, waiting is hard, isn't it? And what's great about this psalm is that we have a guy who was often in battle and needed God instantaneously, right? And here he says, I waited for the Lord. This isn't a psalm that starts out by saying, God, I'm waiting for you. Where are you? There are other psalms for that. And there are moments in our lives when that's our heart, whether we believe in God or whether we don't believe in God. Many of us will just say, man, I need help and I need it now. And I can't even begin to tell you how many people I have spoken with, and I've had this heart at times too, where we're frustrated with God. Even people that don't believe in God are frustrated with him. Like if there were a God, I'd be mad at him. Have you ever talked to someone who doesn't believe in God and they're mad at him? And there's a reason they're mad at him, because if there was a God, I'm like, you do. You know that there's something that, that there's someone that ought to help you, right? You, there's something inside of you that's stirring. How can you be mad if you don't believe in him, right? But, but, but maybe you do. Maybe you do believe in him. And there are these cries and these moments where we're saying, God, I'm waiting for you. And what's, what's powerful about the time that we're waiting for God is that David has found himself in a place where he can't help himself. There's two types of waiting, right? The first is when we're waiting and we can't help ourselves. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we're saying, okay, God, I'm waiting, but I'm trying. I'm making the phone calls, right? I'm making the plea arguments. I'm doing everything in my power to do everything I can to get it done. And you name the scenario, right? Whether you're trying to purchase a home and you're saying, okay, God, I'm in faith. I'm going to put a purchase and sale agreement on this home, right? I'm just going to be in faith. Like, you're not just sitting back saying, I hope God signs it. Like, you know, you're doing whatever you can do and in your power to get whatever it is you want done. So there are scenarios where we think we need God's help. It's out of our control, but we're still doing things. Then there's a second type of waiting where you're absolutely helpless, I can't ever say, honestly, that I've been in a physical place of helplessness. Uh, he gives a, a picture of one here, a miry bog. He lifted me up. He says, God, I waited patiently for you. And he's making a proclamation here. And God rescued me. And his picture is a miry bog. Anyone here ever been in a, in a bog? Stuck by themselves? I don't think I see any. Okay, okay, good. I didn't prepare for this, but I may ask you to just come up here and tell us about it because I really want to learn how you got out. Did you get out? I'm just joking. Of course you did. You're here. That's, that's impressive. Did you have someone to help you? Okay, good. Now listen, this is my Reebok situation. I, I have because my uncle had a place in Merle's Inlet, which is just south of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And every summer, we'd spend two weeks two, after two things that I love very much. Shrimp. Can I get an uh-huh? Amen. And oysters. You either love or hate them, right? I remember the first time I was like, this is awesome and gross at the same time. Like, this is awesome and gross. I still feel that way about oysters. I'm like, mmm, mmm, what was that? You know, you have this moment when you swallow, you're like, mmm, love, hate. 
right? And so we, we went out, and uh, we were just wrong on, on low and high tide, and that's not a mistake you want to make. And so we went out, water started going real low, and we physically just left the boat high and dry. What do you do when you left the boat high and dry? You don't want to wait forever. So you get out. You put on your waders and you get out. And so I've, I've been up to my chest, really in lowland, marshland stuff, going, I can't get out. By the way, you stay in the boat. But I had someone there to help me. Just get me back in the boat and let's go to high, you know, let's go to high land and let's wait for 10 hours. And that's exactly what we did. It was dark, scary, ridiculous. But I had help. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in a bog, like something where you just cannot physically get out and you have no one to help you. Now, those are just physical examples. And you may have a story. I remember being in the woods and I was physically lost and I knew that I could not get out until someone came to find me. This is what David describes. Now, David was a powerful man. David had ways to get out of the situation he found himself in. He got a girl pregnant that wasn't his wife, and he found a way to get out. He killed her husband. That's a way to get out. He's king. He has the authority to call her as his wife. And he says, I mean, I don't know what that conversation was like. I'm really sorry about your husband. Would you be my wife? I mean, that's not a a very good conversation. But he had the power to do it. David would find himself in situations where all he had to do was make a decision. Right? Call upon men's help. Ask for for more money. But in some situations, David, King David, was absolutely helpless. What would you do in a helpless situation? Some of you could describe family situations right now where you have done everything in your power to get out. You have done everything that you know how to do, and you don't know what else to do because you're now helpless, right? It's that moment when a parent throws their hands up in the air and just says, I'm done. I can't do anything else. Just going to trust God with it. You're helpless, absolutely helpless. I'm sitting in a coffee shop this morning, and while thinking and reflecting on just even these verses, I look beside me and there's a man um, probably in his late 70s and he's sobbing. I mean, I'm, he's literally 24 inches to my right. He's by himself and his hands, sorry, Ricky, I guess that's not a very good thing to do sound-wise just to put my hands on the microphone. His hands are in his face and he's just sobbing. And a man much younger, probably his grandson, comes in Public coffee shop, a little bit awkward, right? A man younger than me comes in, probably 20 years old, puts his hand on his probably granddad and just rubs his head. This is two hours ago, a mile from here. You can almost, his body language was almost saying, I'm sorry, Grandpa. And I stopped thinking about Psalm 40. I'm like, what is he going through? It's something in my heart I couldn't leave without talking to him. You know, have you ever convinced yourself to do something? You're like, no, don't do that. And you're like, yes, you should. No, you shouldn't. No, they're going to think you're strange. Don't talk to them. He's crying. Right? And I, I had every reason not to. He's a grown man. He's going to be ashamed that a young man's talking to him. Well, what can I do to help him? What would I know about life? What do I know about what he's going through? I'm going to go preach a sermon, right? I, I mean, I got church. I'm busy. I can't go talk to this guy. It's strange. It's, it's, it's not, not very culturally friendly to do that. I'm like, get over it, Jason. That's me talking to myself. Just talk to him. So I closed my Bible. I looked over. By that time, there was a woman half their age. I picture grandson, mom, and grandpa all sobbing. 
So I closed my Bible, and she had a friendly smile on her face. I think she probably noticed. You ever notice someone reading a Bible in public? I feel like people are staring at me. They're probably armed. <laughs> she just smiled at me like, oh, he's going to be nice to us. And I said, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm, I'm not sorry to interrupt. You don't have to tell me anything. You don't have to tell me anything. I just give that disclaimer. But I know you're going through a tough time. I'd love to pray for you. And this man, sobbing, he said, thank you, son. And I said, you don't have to tell me anything. Just give me one name. And he gave me a name, of which I won't repeat. And he said, um, my, my grandson, it was the, the woman's son, is in jail, went to jail last night. And she said, I can't say much, but he probably won't ever get out. And we're helpless. She said the word helpless, and I'm fighting back the tears, right? I'm like, helpless? I know. I know what it's like to, for people. I've heard so many stories about helplessness. And here you have a family, three generations in tears because they're helpless. They can't get him out. I said, you don't have to tell me anything else. I, I kept giving disclaimers. I said, listen, I, I just give a little context. Um, I don't often say this. But I said, I'm a pastor at a church down the road, and I, I'm actually just reading a psalm about King David. You may know about him, or you may, may have never heard anything about King David, but he's one of the most powerful men that loved God, but he had a lot of struggle. And he wrote this psalm, Psalm 40, about his helpless estate and how God had delivered him. So I, I don't know what type of deliverance you'll need, or he will need, but I just want to pray for you that God would deliver you. And I'm telling you, you just couldn't hold back the tears from all these guys, you know? We had the scene now. I mean, no one's drinking their coffee. No one, and I just said, you know, hey, I don't want to make much of a scene, but just let me pray for you really quickly, okay? And I prayed for them, and they thanked me, and I said, here's my information. Just call. I don't know what I can do to help, but I want to help. Sometimes there are things we can do to help, yeah? Sometimes there are things you know to do that can actually assist you. Sometimes you're helpless. I don't know their situation. I kept telling them, please don't tell me anymore. I just wanted them to feel comfortable, but they felt comfortable telling me more. And I just said, that's tough. I'm so sorry. I won't ever pretend to know what you're going through. But there is a God who brings deliverance. He, he does. It's what he does. And David is making a declaration here that's saying, God delivered me, but I had to wait for it. And I, I, I hope that you'll hear this morning first that sometimes you don't have to do anything because you can't do anything for the deliverance. You just have to wait. And in his time of need, this first point is in the app, it's also in the notes. In his time of need, David waited patiently for the Lord. And that means he was in a situation where he could not do anything. He waited Remember the, the two descriptions in a miry bog, but also in a pit of destruction. If you're in a pit, thinking about Daniel and the lions, if you're in a den and there are lions and there is no ladder, there is no rope, there is no rescue crew, there is no cell phone to dial up 911 and say, hey, just track my location, I've seen a few. No, there's no help and there's no help coming. So what do you do? You wait. It's hard, isn't it? When you're in situations where all you have to do is wait because that's all you can do, God is in a position to show up. And often what he does after that, he gets all the attention, he gets all the fame, 
He gets all the glory. You know what the rest of the psalm is about? Why I'm taking so much time on verse 1? The rest of this psalm is, a, is about the response to when God does that. Look at verse 3 really quick. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. He put a new song in my mouth. Now listen, when you're in a pit of destruction, there ain't no singing. When you're in the miry bog, there's nothing to sing about. I don't care. You can come up with anything in, 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 your, in your mind, in your iTunes library, up in your head. There's no singing when you're in that pit. There's no singing when you're in that miry bog, right? Just a couple of days ago, we were in New Life Island, which is a, a camp um, that is in the Delaware River on an island between Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And as a four-year-old does, he slips away from the crowd and Rachel looked at me and said, where's Levi? I said, I just saw him two minutes ago in the cafeteria. And this is a big island. Man, I don't know how many acres, lots of acreage. And, and she said, well, I'll go check in the bathroom. I'll look outside. And we're looking, we're looking, we're looking. And there's an island. You can't go too far, right? But there is water all around. So I'm not one to quickly freak out. But we look and we tell Grammy and then we tell um, Uncle Josh. And then we tell Aunt Jessie, hey, we can't find Levi. And all of a sudden, about five minutes, mom and dad are a little bit scared. We check every building, every bathroom, and within about 12 minutes, I'm ready to freak out, right? And in a moment, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, okay, God, I've looked everywhere. What's going on? So we're literally, I said two days ago, no, this was yesterday morning, before, an hour before we left. I, we're just running around looking for Levi. By this time, the entire family is looking for my four-year-old. Hashtag bad dad, right? I mean, four-year-old get, get, gets away from you on an island. You can't go too far, right? There's all this fun, all these things going on. We just, we can't find him. Now, it felt like two hours, but it was only 10 minutes. We went into the women's bathroom. I was like, hey, he doesn't know the difference, right? Maybe he's in there. He was not in there. 10 minutes later, I just had this nudge in my heart, and so did Rachel. I said, let's go check the bathroom again. Where was Levi? In the women's bathroom. Going to the bathroom. Now, Levi... Not to get all personal, he takes his time. And when he says, I gotta go to the bathroom, we're like, oh no, this is gonna be forever. And when we're eating at a restaurant, he says, I gotta go to the bathroom. We're like, oh no. One of us, me or Rachel, is going to miss our meal because this boy takes forever. Now, he heard people yelling for him. All he did was leave the cafeteria, go to the bathroom right beside the cafeteria. He was in there the whole time. We're freaking out, feeling helpless, right? And we go in there. Because people are yelling for him, he thinks he's in trouble. So what does a boy in trouble do? Not answer. <laughs> he never answered. I said, did you hear us call? He goes, yes, but I'm sorry I went in the women's bathroom. I don't know how to read. <laughs> he didn't know, right? And in that moment, that's, that's one of those few moments I'm like, okay, God, we've done everything we can. Like, what? we're helpless. Like, you find yourself in a situation where you just don't know what to do. We did assure Levi he was not in trouble. He just went to the bathroom. He just happened to go to the wrong one, right? He was 15 feet away from us the whole time. The rest of the psalm is David's declaration of that new song. He says, he put a new song in my mouth, and I'm looking for a little Levi. I, I, no, I'm not in the mood to sing a song. Let's just take, let's take a moment and sing. no. But when he delivers you, when he does something good, and you sit down and you reflect and you have this feeling inside and all you can say is, wow, look at how good God's been to me. You just want to sing. I want to sing right now. I won't. I just, when you recognize the goodness of God, you just want to sing sometimes. 
And David says, he put a new song in my heart. In his time of need, David chose to do this. David constantly spoke of God's love and his faithfulness. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, you have multiplied. This is, I mean, David's been delivered, right? You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I love that. There's no one like you, but I love the end of verse 5. I will proclaim and I will tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. God, you've, and this is David, I love this. this is, you want to have a heart like David? Not just trusting God for deliverance, but David makes a proclamation. I'm going to tell people how you delivered me. A man that's been rescued is going to tell somebody about that rescue, isn't he? Especially if your life has ever been dangerous. I love those crazy stories of being lost at sea for 22 days and someone comes and finds them. What's that Facebook status like? I'm back. I mean, you're going to tell somebody because it's incredible. And David says here, God, I realize that you are the one that's rescued me. You are the one that's given me the deliverance. You are the one that showed up when I needed you to show up. And I'm going to tell people about you. You know why this morning I could not walk out of Big Bear in Dedham Square? I just couldn't because I was reading verse 5. And here you have three generations crying together over something, and I just wanted something inside of me, and I'm, I'm not a pushy type of person. I don't in, initiate conversations, and hey, yo, I'm a pastor. I'd like to tell you something that the Bible says. I just felt in my heart, I have to tell them. And I, I don't know what their story is, but, but, but David made a decision that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell people about how you delivered me, because it's going to get people's attention. If you take time to read the Bible, I think many people will be blown away now they can't put the Bible down. You'll be blown away by the stories. You'll be blown away by what God does in people's lives. And you'll be blown away that he still does those things today. And David said, I'm going to tell people about you. I'm going to tell them. I'm reading verse 5 and I'm like, okay, they need deliverance. What I quickly assumed and was wrong, that someone close to them died, right? That's just my assumption. That's probably what you would have assumed too. Oh, they're just hurting someone passed away. But there was a different type of sobbing. When, when a man's just shaking, it's probably in his 70s. I thought there was something different here. Something different. He was hurting and I just needed to tell him. And I told him in 20 seconds or less. I'm reading Psalm 40 and this is about King David and and God showed up in his life. And I don't know how God is or, or going to show up in your life, but he can. He can. Look at verse 10. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness in your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the congregation. And what I love about that, it takes the next step. He's again saying, repeating, just like verse 5 and verse 10. Hey, I'm telling everyone what you have done. What if David refused to do that? Would it not have been in a situation where God could have called account of that? Right? If he didn't tell anybody, must not be that amazing. Must not be that surprising. What I love about the end of verse 10, he says, I have told the congregation. Now let me ask you a question. Who is David's congregation? Anybody? He's the king, so who's his congregation? Everyone. 
The people of Israel, when they gathered together to, to, to hear the king, and they, they wondered if David would come back from this war, and after the next one, they wondered if King David would come back again. And at times, you know, the troops returned to Israel and David did not. You know why? Because if you find the troops of Israel, you find King David. Not so. David chose to stay away from the troops because he needed to be in hiding. David was often not in the cavalry, not with the other troops, not with the best line of defenders. David was by himself in the caves. David was by himself, like we talked about last week, in the wilderness of Judah. And so David says, when he's in front of the congregation, he gets everybody together and he says, I'm alive. And let me tell you why I'm alive. Because God rescued me. David says, I, I'm going to tell people about you. I'm going to tell people about your deliverance. Have you ever been delivered? Have you ever been rescued? Right? What situations, admit, it's not in the wilderness or it's not in the bog except for one, right? You're in the bog, which is really cool. I want to hear about that later. Whatever situation you're in, you ever know that God's present in it? It's powerful when you tell people about that. Finally, in this time of need, David did not waver in his faith. Look at the last verse again, verse 17. As for me, he says this, I am poor and in need, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. As for me, I am poor and needy. He still makes the case. He's staying in, a, in, a, in the present tense. At times, David said, hey, listen, God rescued me. I'm delivered. I'm speaking about what's already happened in the past, and here I am now safe. And no, he says, even in this, still, even in this same psalm, Psalm 40, at the very end, I am poor and needy, but God takes thought of me. And so many of you could connect with the first part of verse 7, like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in a tough situation, whatever it is, either, either actual poorness, like financially, or you're in a poor estate, meaning emotionally, either depression or whatever it is, where you're like, I'm down and out, whatever it is. I want you to know something. God takes thought of you. And I love that King David makes that declaration, like, listen, I'm struggling right now, but I know God's not ignoring me. That's faith, guys. That's faith. While others, David could have, and actually at, at other times, there were other psalms that David just kind of lashed out and was frustrated with God, but not here, not now. He says, David, uh, he says, God, I am poor and I am needy, but I know you take thought of me. I know you see me. I know you know me. David had an unwavering faith. You want to have a heart like King David? Waiting patiently for deliverance is one of our greatest challenges in our time of need. Because in your time of need, I don't know what your MO is. It depends on the need, I know. It depends on the situation. It depends on the family drama. It depends on the financial dilemma. It depends on your emotional state. There are so many things that would describe what tough spot you find yourself in. But there is a natural response that you have when you have a need. And what often people don't do is sit on their hands and wait, right? This waiting is hard because this is not the waiting that, that I think the Bible would describe at all times, but have you ever heard people say, just let go and let God? There are a lot of Christian cliches that just frustrate me because often confessions of a pastor, let go and let God. Sometimes there's a time for that, by the way 
to just say, you know what, you're, you're trying to manipulate your own life. Why don't you just, just calm down and trust God? Just relax, just relax. I think there's a time for that, right? And there's also a time where you say, listen, we have a responsibility. You have a responsibility for the actions of your life. And if you find yourself in a tough spot, it might just be because you made some decisions to put yourself there. I don't know the situation that this gentleman was in this morning. I know a little bit, but he made a decision to find himself in jail. It was his choice and no one else's. They were broken, not over a wrongful judicial system, but they were broken over a family member's choice, right? And if I could be in front of him and say, listen, man, you got a chance here. You got a chance. I don't know if that means 15 years in jail and then you're out, but do your very best, right? There's a time when we take action for the responsibility and we just don't sit back on our hands and just wait. But there is a time to sit back and wait. There is a time for that. And I don't know what situation you find yourself in, but I would encourage you to pray this prayer. God, help me to know how to wait. Help me to know how to wait. How do I wait on you for deliverance? How do I wait on you for help? What do I do? Because in our waiting for deliverance, God often shows up. And in our waiting for deliverance, God often does something to get glory for himself. So whether you wait and work, You go out this door, you say, I'm waiting on you, but I'm going to do whatever I can. But sometimes you would say the opposite. I'm going to wait. I'm going to sit back on my hands. I'm just going to wait on the Lord to show up. You want to have a heart like David? I know you're not perfect, nor was David. I know your family's not perfect. David's was far from perfect. In fact, most of our families are quite holy compared to what I read in the Bible about King David. You read about King David that loved God, and you're like, this is a messed up family, a messed up situation, but God redeems it. And God wants to do the same for you, and God wants to do the same for me. Psalm 40 is incredible because above all these things, I want you to walk out with verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me, he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, right? He lifted me out of the pit of destruction. He lifted me out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock. And I love this. He gave me a secure place to stand. You might be in the bog, but wait on deliverance. You won't drown. You might be in the slimy pit, right? Out in the, or the pit of destruction, as some verses and say. But God can show up and God will show up. As we close today and the band comes up, I want us to give us a space during this next song to to really reflect and to think about the situation that you find yourself in, no matter what it is, no matter where it is. All of us, in some ways, have to wait upon the Lord. But in the waiting, God shows up. In the waiting, God gets glory. And so if you want to have a heart after God, Trust God patiently for deliverance because he's not a God who ignores. He's not a God who looks down and sees that someone's in a pit or someone's in a bog and he absolutely ignores them. He's not a God that does that. He's a God who loves to show up into the lives of those who trust in him. Jesus 
through his death on the cross. This is what Jesus did. Through Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection from the grave, it is him and him alone who offered this help. The ultimate deliverance is that when we die, we really don't die. Funerals are hard, aren't they? But there's something glorious about them too when we cite and read the truth of the Bible at a funeral. And there's this incredible verse that says, he that dies, even though he dies, he lives. Because we believe because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that there is no death for anyone who believes in him, not for all people, anyone, anyone. Doesn't matter the background, it doesn't matter your faith, beliefs, or in the past, doesn't matter how you grew up, in church, out of church, whatever, it doesn't matter. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you know what the ultimate lifting up out of the pit is? Is that there's a promise that when you die, you'll get to spend an eternity with God in heaven. That is the ultimate lifting up out of the bog. That is the ultimate lifting up out of the pit, that there is no death. Because some people die young, right? And some people die old. And yes, even though some people you would say, well, hey, if God lifted them out of the pit, why did this happen to this person? Why did this eight-year-old die of cancer? Why did this 88-year-old die of cancer? Right? The ultimate lifting is what Jesus did when he lifted himself from the grave and he offered salvation to all people. And today, the invitation is for you. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. That is Jesus showing up and delivering us from what we deserve, which is ultimately because of our sin, death. Let's pray. God, today, may Psalm 40 be a psalm, God, of, that is one of deliverance for us all. And I also pray, God, that you, as we read and as we reflect and as we think about it, God, that we would say we're just like David. We're in a place that's hard. We're in a place that's like a pit or a bog, whatever it, whatever it is, God. But we need you to show up. And so help us to learn how to wait. Help us to learn how to wait patiently, God. Father, we lift up every single person in this room today. And, and through this next song, we pray um, that you administer and reach our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this next song. And during this song, I want to go ahead and stand and sing. And during this next song, um, it's a place for you to reflect on the message today in Psalm 40. But it's also a time when we take an offering. And so if you're a guest with us, your gift to us during this offering is simply filling out the connection card, either on your phone or the connection card you received when you came in the door. If you're a regular attendee, I pray. And we hope that as you give to Encounter, you would realize that you are giving back to God um, in response to how he has given to you. So let's sing as we have this time of offering.